Hour 3 of Sportsnet uh, today continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I'm Logan Gordon. He's Patrick Dumas. NFL season less than a week away from kicking off on Thursday Night Football when the Rams take on the Buffalo Bills at SoFi Stadium. We've had training camps in the books. 53-man rosters have been set. And we thought all the big news might have been done ahead of NFL kickoff, but the Denver Broncos had other thoughts in mind as they sign Russell Wilson to a massive contract extension. To talk about that and the expectations for the Broncos ahead of a busy and competitive season in the AFC West, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post. Ryan, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? I'm good, fellas. Good to join you today. Uh, yes, thanks for for coming on. We do appreciate it. Uh, obviously, the news in your part of the uh, of the world is all about Russell Wilson right now. He signs that massive contract extension. Uh, what was your reaction when you heard the uh, deal come down? Well, it was a lot more than Nazem Kadri got to leave Colorado. <laughs> he <way>. sure did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the reaction is, is the it was inevitable. Uh, you don't trade three players two ones, two twos, and have this be a short-term deal. And what I thought would happen would be if it, it would be preseason or after the season. Well, they set a deadline of midnight, August 31st. They got it done with about 15 minutes to spare. Um, in terms of the money, um, you know, I thought it may have, I thought it was going to come in around 50 average million, but, uh, it, uh, 49. So I think it still gives the Broncos some flexibility because as the cap numbers go up, the cap is going to go up. Why now? Russell Wilson has two years left on his current deal before this one even kicks in. So why was it important for the Denver Broncos to get Russell Wilson signed uh, for you know uh, the, essentially the rest of his career now uh, when there's still two years left on the deal? Yeah, and I think they wanted to get this thing done before uh, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are uh, eligible for extensions, which is after this season. And you know, I thought at the beginning of this process, well, you know, Wilson is you know, half a career older than these guys. Mm-hmm. I was told doesn't matter. Uh, Wilson has only missed three regular season games in 10 years, so he's very durable, obviously still productive. So I think that was the urgency on the team side. The urgency on the player side, that's a little more confusing to me, but uh, I think he wanted to remove this distraction and you know, there isn't a great track record of success of quarterbacks moving around and being successful and he figures hey second team is enough see if they can have a good second chapter to his career here in Denver what have you made of Russell Wilson and his impact on the team since coming over spent the full training camp here with Denver has it has it been a noticeable change with Russ under center for the Broncos yeah I think in the words that come from the players is there's hope and you heard that all the way back uh when the trade happened in early March is this team felt they had a lot of good talent last year, uh, but they had no quarterback play, and which means that defense had to play on their heels and they couldn't stop the run. So I think Wilson's track record, his attitude, his you know enthusiasm, his positivity, all those things, and he can make plays. I think that's all given this team, which has a lot of young skill position players, uh, a huge uh, jolt of confidence. With Russell Wilson coming in, has there been a noticeable rise when it comes to expectations around the group from those around the team? 
Well, for those around the team, and I would include the fan base here locally, it's not a Super Bowl or bust. Okay. Uh, but it's probably play, but it's probably a playoffs or bust. And that's not to say if this if they go eight and nine or nine and eight and don't make it, there's going to be wholesale changes. But I do think the expectations are that they should be able to handle themselves pretty well in nine division games. And then you just got to win those division home games, and I think that gets you to ten and seven. That should at least get you a wild card. Ryan, uh, just you know, speaking of the AFC West as a whole, what can you say about what this division's done this year? I mean, the Broncos bringing in uh, a Super Bowl caliber quarterback was just one of a handful of ultra competitive moves by this division. Yeah, it felt like every day during the month of March, once free agency and trade started, it was another move by one of these. Knowing us, three teams, and then the Chiefs were a little mm-hmm. bit later once they traded Tyreek, but. You know, the Raiders added Devontae Adams. That came out of nowhere. Broncos added Russell Wilson out of nowhere. The Chargers, they pivoted. They went heavy on defense. J.C. Jackson, Khalil Mack. And so it's all about the Chiefs. The Chiefs are the picture on that bullseye. They've won the division five, six straight years. I still think they're the favorite because they did a nice job, you know, sort of replacing uh, Hill by committee. Are we finally on the precipice of seeing Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy break out in the NFL now that they have a, a really, a, I, I was going to say competent quarterback, but that would be a disservice to Russell Wilson, but they have a, a Super Bowl caliber pass thrower now. I, I think a lot of people, Ryan, have looked at this team and that duo and seen, you know, look, there's a lot of talent there, but maybe they just haven't had the guy to get them the ball on a consistent basis. That's what, Brink, that's what the Broncos are banking on. They got the right trigger, man. Uh, they got no excuses. Russell Wilson, you don't need to be open for him to throw you the football. Secondly, Tim Patrick, who is their best red zone guy towards ACL early in camp, so he's out. That's good. Those touches are going to go to Sutton and Judy, along with some of the tight ends. You know, I, I expect Cortland to be better this year, year two post-ACL. And, you know, Jerry Judy had a great camp last year, was playing great week one, high ankle, out six weeks. That derailed this season, no touchdowns. Very interested to see how involved Jerry's going to be in this passing game uh, because you have Sutton, you have Hamler, you have Matra Washington, the rookie. They like throwing to the tailbacks, Williams and Gordon. So um, the key for Jerry is making those catches be impact plays. We're chatting with Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post, breaking things all, uh, breaking down all things Denver Broncos here, following a massive extension for Russell Wilson with the team here on Sportsnet today. I'm Logan Gordon, joined by Patrick Dumas. Patrick, Ryan, I want to switch to the other side of the ball. Talk about some defense. Uh, what are some uh, names? I know Patrick Sertan Jr. entering his second season in the league. He had a big rookie year. Now, what what are some expectations on that defensive side of the ball? I've got some issues on defense, and that's probably an unpopular opinion. One of those issues is not Sertan. I think he's the best player on the entire yeah. roster in terms of how he can take over. I don't expect him to get a lot of action. Um, I think what the Broncos should do, but teams generally don't, is have them travel with DK Metcalf in week one and say, hey, we're going to put our best guy on your best guy, see what happens. And after that, a corner, they got issues. Ronald Darby, K1 Williams, haven't played full seasons a lot because of injuries. And I think the biggest concern right now is twofold, is, is inside linebacker, if Josie Jewell goes down, not a lot of depth. And then up front, um, can they stop the run? They gave DJ Jones a ton of money to come from the 49ers. It's going to be up to him to make those stops on those early downs to set up these edge rushers. 
Now, uh, switch over to the offense again. Now, are you probably next to Russell Wilson? I think fans are probably most excited to see second-year running back Javante Williams. What are his expectations for his sophomore season? Well, it's still going to be a fantasy nightmare, let's be honest, because they got Melvin Gordon Melvin back, Gordon, yeah. and they are going to uh, – yeah, I think they want to showcase Javante a little more this year. They each had 205 carries last year, maybe a 60-40 split in favor of Williams. Um, terrific player, second-year player, does a lot of the yards after contact, so I think the expectations are high for him internally. And I think Melvin Gordon's going to get an opportunity because he does – among the things he does well, he can catch it out of catch the, out of backfield and then run receiver like routes when he's flexed outside. So I think both these guys are going to have a chance to have an impact. And really, Russell Wilson says he wants to play in our ten years. Okay, fine, whatever. He's under contract for another seven. The best way to preserve him is have a good running game that sets up, sets up his play action, which sets up his deep shots. Now, with Russell Wilson and obviously a new head coach and Nathaniel Hackett, they've been attached at the hip all training camp. How important is their relationship for the success of the Broncos? Uh, it's critical. Outside of Coach GM, Coach Quarterback's the number one A relationship on a football team. And, you know, this is the first time Wilson's going to have a, he- a play calling head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's only had one head coach, but Pete Carroll delegated that. So, you know, one thing that Nate Hackett has been adamant about, and hey, let's face it. Yeah, trust trust your quarterback. I mean, this is going to be a Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett offense. This is not going to be a Nathaniel Hackett offense. And I think part of that was talked about when Wilson was waving his no trade. You know, it appears like he didn't have a lot of ownership of the offensive the game plan in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Ergo, the let Russ cook line. But I think he is going to be able to have a lot of input uh, this year. Now, off the field, there was some news as well with the Broncos. Now, Pat Bowen passing away, very much beloved in Denver. We know him well around these parts as well. How has that transition been from the Bolins to now the new richest owners in the league? Yeah, pretty smooth. And, and, and you know, Pat, Pat passed away in June of 19, yet he had not been involved for five, six years yeah. before that because of Alzheimer's. So he had a three-person trust. You had a family feud. You had litigation. It was a circus, and it was an embarrassment for the league. Now you have the Walton Penner group coming in. Uh, Greg Penner, Rob Walton's son-in-law, is the uh, CEO, sort of the everyday guy. But uh, I think yesterday's contract showed that, you know, they are gonna, they're going to spend cash. And people say, well, there's a salary cap. There is, but you can pay a lot of money up front if you have it. And that may help sway some guys to sign here or stay here. Okay, now, now, now we mentioned talk about the, the AFC West and how all the moves that they, the, the teams around Denver made. Uh, it is probably the, arguably the toughest division in the league. How can the Broncos possibly knock off the Chiefs, the Chiefs at the top of the division? Oh, I don't see it happening, but, well, uh, you know, hypothetically, let's see. You know, I, I don't want to say injury issues, but to me it's that the Chiefs can't stop anybody. Uh, they've had some attrition on defense. They, you know, they've spent a lot of money on their offense. But uh, I, mean, I got the Chiefs first, Chargers second, Broncos third, Raiders fourth. But if the Chiefs falter, it's because Tyreek Hill has missed more than I expect them to. So that, that to me, that would be the key for these other three teams to try and emerge. But I mean, Chief, Pat Mahomes never lost to the Chiefs, never lost to the Broncos. Mm-hmm. So you guys beat him first before you think about the division. And one, one, one more from me. Like, how close do you do you see this group contending for his Super Bowl? I know Peyton Manning turned fortunes pretty quick in Denver the, when he got there. 
I don't know. Obviously, the expectations might not be as high for Russell Wilson, but is this group you think pretty close to being uh, out of the Super Bowl level? Uh, I don't. I don't think they are. Um, I just. I, I think it's a top-heavy roster, which is you're sort of playing with fire in the NFL because you're. You know, you are going to get guys hurt. You're going to get guys nicked up, and I do think there's a fall off from the starters to the backups, and that's that's going to uh, ultimately cost the Broncos. I have them going ten and seven, losing in the first round of the playoffs at Cincinnati. So I think this would this, you know, it took a couple of years for the Broncos to dig dig themselves out, uh, into this mess. It's going to take them a couple of years to dig himself out, even with Russell Wilson on board. Ryan, just a couple more for you before we let you go. Appreciate the time once again this afternoon. Uh, I'm curious what you've made so far of uh, Randy Gregory in the blue and orange. Hasn't done anything, uh, and you know, so. You know that's going to be the pressure point. Yeah. You know he had shoulder surgery after he signed here. They knew about it. Blah blah blah. This guy has not been available in his career because of injuries and suspension. I didn't like the contract. I didn't like the signing when it happened. Uh, but they are taking a huge gamble and a huge swing on Randy Gregory. Uh, you know he'll probably do some team stuff this week coming up. But we're not we're not uh, privy to watch that anymore. So. Uh, Bradley Chubb, I expect him to have a good year opposite of Gregory. But the other guy to watch, I think, is Baron Browning, uh, second-year player from Ohio State. He moved from inside inside linebacker to the outside this year. I think he may have more sacks than Randy Gregory. What's your feel on the offensive line for this team? Obviously, Garrett Bowles at that left tackle spot is the the key to making this work. But how does the the group line up, and how uh, protected will Russell Wilson feel with this group in front of him? Well, during these training camp practices, we're open to fans. Either the Broncos are going to have the best pass rush in the league or they're going to have trouble blocking anybody <laughs> because he was on the move quite a bit. And that wasn't by design on some of those rollouts. I think there's some issues. Garrett Bowles left tackle got to be better, got to be a lot better in pass pro. Uh, I think Quinn Miners, the second-year right guard, is their best lineman. Uh, then they got to figure out right tackle. They desperately want Billy Turner, whose legend has grown in his injury absence, uh, they desperately want him to start week one. He hasn't take. He's probably taken four or five more team reps than you and I have. So there's there's issues there. So I do think uh, the tight ends are going to be important, especially uh, maybe that six protector on third down, and then definitely in the run game. Talk to me about the the tight end. The one everyone's talking about right now for this group is Albert O, and a chance for him to potentially break out. It feels like he has all the talent in the world to do it, but this team's sort of been hoping for that for the last little while. Yeah, he got off to a good start his rookie year, then tore his ACL. So he sort of last year, you know, flashed a little bit. But Noah Fant led this team in catches last year. It's sort of forgotten. He was in the Wilson deal to Seattle. Um, I thought Albert did a couple of good things against Buffalo. But he, he missed the, both days of practice this week with a lower body deal. So the onus is going to be on him to be healthy for week one and then be available because Greg Dulcich, the third-round tight end, he can't get on the dang field because mm-hmm. of the hamstring. And so he's on IR. He's out minimum four games. So I think the the way they can move Albert around looking for mismatches while then having Eric Sauber or Eric Tomlinson be the second tight end as an inline guy, I think that gives Nate Hackett some options. Looking ahead to week one for the Broncos, obviously the NFL schedule makers uh, you know, lining things up pretty nicely on a Monday night. It's a return to Seattle for Russell Wilson. Has Russell talked about the emotions leading into that at all, or is that something for a little bit later on in the week? Yeah, I mean, he, we, we asked him when the schedule came out and it was an unusable answer. 
Yeah. So I'm like, you know, it's one at 17, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, give it another shot when we talk to him next Thursday. You know, uh, let's, you know, he should be ready for it. He had 10 years there. He speaks very highly of the community. Won a Super Bowl. Uh, hey, change happens in this league. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning changed teams. Russell Wilson has changed teams. It's not it's not as rare as it used to be. So I think he'll be, uh, I mean, he's always completely political, but I think he'll, he'll uh, make sure the uh, – uh, the narrative is 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 in, he's in charge of that. Important for this Broncos team to get off to a good start for you, uh, Ryan. Obviously, Seattle Week One that's going to be an emotional game, but they're not the team they used to be in Week Two. You're welcoming in a rebuilding Texans team to uh, Mile High. Yeah, it's important. They got to be six and two at the bye. Uh, you mentioned those first two games. Week Three, they got San Francisco at home with Trey Lance. You got to be Trey Lance on your home field in prime time if you're any good especially third game of the season. Then, uh, but then it comes a stretch of at Raiders, home to the Colts, at Chargers. And so, hey, got, if you can steal one of those division road games, you know, then you're in good shape. And then they finish off that first uh, part of the season with Jets at home and then in London against the Jaguars. The schedule is built for 6-2 and two if, they, if they think they're as good as they believe. Ryan, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. I know it's a busy time whenever a, a massive extension like that comes down. Appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat with us thanks, here. Ryan. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Ryan Halloran, Ronald Halloran, excuse me, from the uh, Denver Post in uh, Denver, uh, chatting some Denver Broncos football. And it's a real intriguing team from, from me in that yeah. AFC West because I feel like you know, there's a guy that covers the team. He has them third in the division. Yeah. I don't think that's unfair. I think no. that's a playoff team for sure. Yeah. But uh, to me, that's an interesting group because I could have them. If you push, if you thought Denver could be number one in the division, mm-hmm. I, I probably wouldn't call you crazy. The defense, sure. There, there's a few things to work on and a few question marks there. But given the talent that they have offensively, some of the playmakers they have on defense, they're one of those teams that's going to be up and down a lot of people's rankings heading into week one. Yeah, Denver, very interesting group. Like, uh, yeah, I I agree with Ryan. Like, they're probably in that tier two of contenders, probably in the NFL, in the AFC for yeah, sure. Yeah, playoff well, team, but maybe not. Team, maybe, uh, maybe not putting money on a Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. And like, it, it depends with Russell Wilson. I know, like, the, the receiving core is good. Uh, Javante Williams, is, it's a good running running back room as well with uh, with Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, and I think. Getting Russell towards, I know he like let Russ cook and whatnot, but I think I agree with Ryan O'Hallen. Like the success of the Broncos will come with a well balanced offense, and Nathaniel Hackett, uh, he ran the offense in Green Bay, had Aaron Rodgers, had that offensive clicking with Aaron Jones and and their running game as well. So I'm really interested to see what Denver can do. I think Russell Wilson obviously makes the Broncos. Uh, I think makes them a playoff team for sure. A little worried on that defense. I didn't think it was maybe it was that bad, but obviously Ryan O'Halloran, he's boots on the ground there. He knows what's happening in Denver, and you know a little suspect on the defense. But like I said, six and two, probably not outlandish to say with that start. Like you can't let like Trey Lance coming in there. You play you play your two divisional games with the Raiders and Chargers, but you know six and two is, is a very realistic start for the Broncos. Yeah, the the Seattle one. I imagine that's going to be a pretty revved up. Russ oh, for that God, one, yeah. Monday Night Football. Well, revved up's Lumen Field, too. That crowd yeah. will be revved up, They'll too. be excited to welcome him back, yeah. but at the same time, that place is going to get loud, and mm-hmm. it'll be Russ's first time on the other side of yeah. that crowd. And, you know, as suspect as the chances are for the Seattle Seahawks this year, that place week one is still going to be buzzing, mm-hmm. right? Season's back. Everyone's going to be loud on Monday night. You're the only Monday night game on week one. Yeah. 
They've done a couple of those double or triple headers on Monday night. I'm yeah, glad the they're not doing on it. Week two now. Yeah, I'm glad they're not doing that. <laughs> week one, give me Monday night, give me one game yeah. to latch on to. You welcome in Davis Mills. Week two should be a win. As Ryan pointed out, Trey Lance. It's a good team in mm-hmm. San Fran, but you're welcoming a rookie quarterback to a tough place to play. Mm-hmm. You've got to find a way to pick up a win. Raiders, tough game in the division. That can go either way. Matt Ryan and the Colts. I don't really know what they are. They come to town, and then you've got the Chargers week six at SoFi. Then you've got Jets, Jags. I mean, there's a chance for this this Denver team to get off to a pretty yeah. good start. Yeah, getting um, the Chiefs in the back half of the year, you know, helps too. Well, does it? I mean, well, you're going to you, get you, up to a good start, you but you're going to have to win some games I mean. You late. get off to your good start, and then you, you kind of set it up, and you say, okay, well, let's set it out here. What are we at? Where the Kansas back City half at? of that schedule is tough. It is brutal, eh? Baltimore at Baltimore. Welcome KC at home, Arizona at home, at Rams, at Chiefs, Oof. Chargers last week, at Mile High. Yeah, ten last s- three games: Rams, Chiefs, Chargers. Ten and seven is possible. Like, that is a brutal end to that schedule. But I mean, Russell Wilson gets up for the big games, and well, and, that's what gives you confidence, yeah. right? Is those He's road games game aren't player. so scary when you have a, a quarterback that's been there, done that. Yeah, and exactly. I think he's been there, done that. So. Uh, very interested to see that group. Uh, you're probably a little bit worried if you're a Broncos fan. You hear, uh, you know, Randy Gregory hasn't been very noticeable in camp. You mm-hmm. spent a lot of money on him. A lot of people made that, you know, you're going to question that shoulder, shoulder surgery after signing. Uh, you don't always love that. You don't know how the recovery is going to go, what kind of player you're getting. We'll see if he can. I love, I, I love Bradley Chubb. I think yeah. he's a do-it-all kind of linebacker for this team. I think he can... Third year in the league, I believe he's entering Yeah, rush now. the passer. I think he can stuff the run. I think he does a little bit of everything. Um, but I think he's more effective and proven to be more effective with uh, an effective rusher on the other side of him. Yeah. If Randy Gregory can't be that, mm, don't love that as much if you're the Denver Broncos. So, uh, Thanks to Ryan O'Halloran once again for joining us. He uh, did so down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline you can check them out on twitter uh if you're looking for your latest denver broncos news under a week to go before nfl football Woo! can't wait man excited Fancy uh, a ton coming up here yes yeah, so we got a bunch of those to get to uh as well one thing to do before we uh head things off for the weekend patrick we got headlines you've got those coming up next your latest spin around the sporting world uh patrick's going to keep you up to date with everything that's happening ahead of your labor day weekend That's next when Sportsnet Today returns here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All day long, we do the searching, the editing, the filtering. We find the good stuff, add some opinion, and call it Sportsnet 960 Headlines. The long weekend is upon us, Patrick. Damn right. Take us home with some headlines, would you? Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, Welcome to some meaningful September baseball logo. Toronto sets off on their final long road trip of the year. Ten games over 11 days. Starts tonight at PNC Park in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's enough P's for you there. Uh, First time there since uh, May of 2014. Begin a three-game set with the 49-win Pirates. Jays will send Alec Manoa to the mound. Pittsburgh counters with Johan Ovidio, who's 2-1 and one on the year. Manoa pitched a gem in his last outing against the Angels last Saturday. Struck out 7. Uh, went 7, struck out 8, sorry, but was saddled with the loss because his team just couldn't score a run. Jays coming off a very disappointing 2-4 and four homestand where they just couldn't score against the Angels and then had to fight for every inch in the two wins against the Cubs. 
This series against the Pirates will cap off a nine-game set where the Jays played teams all 15 games below them, below 500, I should say. Uh, they only have two more series between now and the end of the year against teams below 500. That'll be Texas at the end of this road trip and Boston in their final home series. But that's for future us to worry about. Current us have to be concerned about this group right now. Some lineup news. George Springer will lead off in center field. Vladdy getting another DHing game. Uh, will bat second uh, in batting third. Teoscar Hernandez in left. Alejandro Kirk fourth. Bichette fifth. Chapman sixth. Biggio seventh. Espinal eighth. And uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. will round up the lineup at ninth. Here's skipper John Schneider ahead of tonight's game talking about how he's going to approach the rotation over the weekend. Uh, we got Manoa tonight. And uh, we'll see how today's game goes. And then... Um... Definitely have a plan A and a plan B for tomorrow, and uh, we'll kind of have that finalized after tonight's game. And then Sunday we got Stripling here, and uh, go from there. It's easy to say, okay, you're taking, you know, a, a non-division opponent or someone you're not kind of right in the thick of a race with differently. That's not the case. I think that, you know, you take matchups into consideration as well with how their lineup rolls out and who we have available. So uh, that plays part of it as well. But I think when you're at this point in the season too, and you know. You are right there with a handful of teams, and you're playing them quite a bit. You want to line up your guys against them, too. So there you go. Uh, Alec Manoa will get tonight. Uh, Ross Stripling Sunday. Don't know what the starter will be for Saturday. It's a 435 first pitch, so about an hour from now on Sportsnet West. We'll also get you out to the pregame following us here at 4 o'clock, uh, 4 o'clock logo. You got to beat the Pirates. Oh, yeah. Just you have to beat the Pirates. I, I don't want to come in here on Tuesday and have to talk about why you lost to the Pirates. The Pirates are awful. You have your best pitcher on the mound. They have 81 losses. They're 49 and 81. You got to find a way to come out of this with victories. The Pirates are not very good. Nope. You're supposed to be a playoff team. It's it's very simple, and that doesn't seem to mean anything for the Toronto Blue Jays of late. I know. But to me, you've got all of these important games, the hard games that you're going to have to grind out against Baltimore and Tampa Bay and then Baltimore again and more Tampa Bay. You have to, have to, have to have these games against Pittsburgh. You've got a, a gift late in the season to get some wins. I mean, really anything short of a sweep will kind of feel disappointing for this group. Yeah, it will be. I think uh, I think that's exactly it. I think you have to go into the mindset you have to sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates because you have a massive set waiting for you uh, coming out on Labor Day against the Baltimore Orioles. Checking in with the rest of the American League wildcard picture, uh, the Rays begin a huge set with the Yankees uh, at 5-10, as well the Mariners begin a three-game set with the Cleveland Guardians also at 5-10. The Orioles, they return home to take on the lowly Oakland Athletics and the Twins. They start a series up. With the Chicago White Sox, Toronto, two games back of both Tampa Bay and Seattle for the first wild card spot, and now just hold a half, game and a half lead over the Baltimore Orioles. Still three up on the Twins. Jays, just have to worry about your own business. Uh, but yeah, it would be nice to see some help on the out of town scoreboard ahead of that four game set with Baltimore on Monday. Yeah, it would be. Uh, but at this point, it's it's I think about taking care of business for the Jays and, and not really focusing on any of that. If you want to yeah. dive more into it. You'll have plenty of uh, in-division games to worry about that after this series against Pittsburgh. So uh, it's always hard to find yourself not scoreboard watching at this time of year. Oh, yeah. I, I totally understand that. And I think it's probably best left to the fans at this point of the season because, like I said, so much is going to change over this next month with all of these head-to-head -head games against teams that you're directly above or below mm -hmm. that 
it's just it's not worth stressing over it. It's re- it's really not. You no. have to handle your own business, and if you pick up a win, then you know you've done your part, and that's the most important thing for this Jays team right now. Is you've got the lesser opponent than pretty much anybody else around you right now uh, that's playing. So you've got to make sure that you've got the W, and then you can move on and worry about the Rays and the Orioles when you face them. And that's really the only time you should be worried about them. Exactly. Uh, so the CFL Labor Day weekend kicks off tonight in the league uh, with the Ottawa Red Blacks visiting the Montreal Alouettes. Ottawa coming off their second win of the year last week in Edmonton. Well, the Alouettes were on a bye, but they've won their last two outings. They just traded away Vernon Adams Jr. earlier in the week to the BC Lions. They've also bulked up their defense in a trade with the Edmonton Elks, acquiring defensive end Thomas Costigan and DB Nafiz Lyon. Montreal just two points back of Toronto for first. Uh, well, Ottawa with a win could pull them within two points of Montreal for second in the East. A lot on the line at Molson Percival tonight. Percival he, Molson. Yeah, it's... It's hard to focus on football in Montreal, given everything that's happened off of the field with Gary Stern and Vernon Adams now being traded to BC. I guess they're confident in Trevor Harris as their guy and feel as though they don't need to have Vernon Adams sitting as a backup just in case. I don't know that I'm that comfortable with Trevor Harris, but apparently they are. So, And good for them. They got a first-round pick in exchange for a guy that looks like a rental for BC. So that's a a bit of a a head-scratcher there. But there's just so much noise on the outside of this for Montreal. Uh, We'll see how Danny Machocha has been able to block that for his team. I don't know that it's that easy Mm -hmm. when it's, you know, come and hit the on-field product because Gary Stern leaving opened the door for Vernon Adams to be traded. There's That's reported by Farhan Lalji of TSN that he blocked that trade. So mm-hmm. these changes are, are not just on the off uh, the field side of things. They've affected what you do and who your teammates are. So, look, pick up a win if you're Montreal. You'll feel a lot better about your spot in the East and not having to worry about being that team that gets pushed out for a crossover from the West Division. Mm-hmm. But Ottawa's looking like they're, you know, they've been competent all year. I can give them that much. And I, I liked them a lot better with Nick Arbuckle at quarterback. Uh, you shouldn't be able to say it about a 2-8 and eight team, but they still have plenty of life left in this East Division, and that's something for them to hang on to. Elsewhere in the CFL, there's an article up on Sportsnet.ca. Mike Kareen uh, did with the commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, talking about various things, including the ownership situation in Montreal, the quarterbacking landscape in the league, and, of course, uh, uh, what Nathan Rourke's injury meant uh, to the league as well. And what crowds will be like around stadiums this weekend, expected, expected sellouts in Regina and Hamilton, and the commissioner also expecting great crowds uh, tonight in Montreal and then on Monday here in Calgary for the Battle of Alberta. Again, full article up at sportsnet.ca. The rest of the Labor Day slate begins on Sunday with the Riders hosting the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And then, of course, the traditional doubleheader Monday with the Battle of Alberta and the Battle of Ontario taking place. Going to be a great weekend of football. I'm really looking forward to it. Yep. Sunday is huge for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They're going to have a full crowd behind them. They've got to make some hay in this division and back-to-back losses to the Blue Bombers Mm -hmm. could really sink their season. And look, you're hosting a a great cup this year. That's not where you want to be post-Labor Day. Winnipeg looks like an unstoppable machine right now. I think you've got to find a way to split this at best if you're Mm -hmm. Saskatchewan. I think asking them to win both, probably not fair. But I think a split would be probably pretty happy if you're the Rough Riders, probably starting with Sunday. But these are two tough games. We chatted with Eddie Steele earlier, who's been on the Riders' side of this thing, and he'll tell you it's as intense as any rivalry gets mid-season. 
are these two games. And if you're expecting hostile crowds in both places, it's going to only add to it. Uh, Toronto-Hamilton, probably sick of seeing each other by Monday. Like, this is, <laughs> this is getting excessive, meeting? and they got another one to go. Uh, and then Calgary, look, the Jake Mayer era started off pretty well last week despite a loss. Uh, now you're back at McMahon for the most important regular season game of the year. You're going to be looking sharp in those new uniforms. Uh, come out and handle business against your provincial rival who hasn't looked all that threatening this year. If you're the Stamps, a good chance to put yourself back in contention for that second spot in the West if you can go back-to-back weeks with wins against the Elks. Very well put there. Uh, south of the border, college football is making some news. The College Football Playoff Board of Managers has voted to expand the current cl- college football playoff from 4 to 12 uh, to begin in the 2026 regular season unless earlier implementation is possible. They're talking 2024-2025. I know uh, that can go along with the uh, the moving of Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC as well as USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. Uh, some, some notes, the Coles notes. So 12 teams will be from the six conference champions ranked highest by the selection committee plus the six highest ranked teams not included among the six highest ranked conference champions. The rankings of the teams will continue to be done by a selection committee whose size, composition, and method of selection will remain substantially unchanged. So it will be the same committee picking everything. And the four highest-ranked conference champions will be seeded one through four and will receive first-round buys. The other eight teams will play in a first round with higher seeds hosting the lower seeds, either on campus or at their other sites designated by the higher seeds institution. So the changing landscape of college football is just becoming NFL light. Uh, over the next few off seasons, uh, a lot of money going around there. A ton of money. Uh, you saw the Nick, Sta- Nick Saban extension earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, why would that guy ever dream of going to the NFL? He'll make way more money being uh, the head coach there than ever going to the NFL, and he'll have more power and more stature doing it. Oh, and yeah. To me, this is just another example of uh, of them, you know, flexing some of their power like this. I I think it's too many teams. I I don't think that there are every given year 12 championship level caliber teams. teams. I don't think there are. I I think that you needed to add a couple of teams to avoid... You know, one conference really dominating the four-team playoff. Yeah, throwing in two or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. then it's not really as fair to the other conferences. And uh, but to me, twelve is just too many. I just I don't see that when I watch college football that I see twelve teams that are capable of doing it. I'm sure every now and then it'll lead to some great underdog stories, and that'll be fun to watch when it happens. But uh, the talent level between what the top team is and what the twelfth team is. Heading into this playoff, to me, there's still such a large disparity. Oh, there's just—it's a huge gap of, of, of competition in this sport for sure. Uh, I mean, it's going to get these schools more notoriety, getting into put into this playoff. Uh, they're going to get them more money for their school. Hopefully, this eventually leads to more parity amongst college football, but I doubt it really because it just seems like you know, you, you, if you're a, if you're a player, you're going to go to these schools, you're going to go to the big SEC schools. You're going to go play in the Big Ten. And that's just what it seems to be, that college football is boiling down to eventually being two conferences, whatever the SEC can put out and whatever the Big Ten and no slash Notre Dame because the SEC is going to be coming for the ACC. They're coming for Clemson. They're coming for Florida State. They're coming for Miami. If you can get – it's all about that. It's just right now two conferences controlling the sport of college football. Eh, not fun. But, I mean, it's uh, for parity. I mean, if you're a big fan of the sport – 
Sure, you understand it? I get that. Well, and the one thing that I thought was interesting, too, and something to dive into more as this story develops is, you know, our pal John Bender, who played in the NCAA yep. for Nevada, mm-hmm. he tweeted out earlier today, you know, guys are skipping bowl games when they're draft yeah, eligible exactly. because they need to protect themselves. How many of them are going to sign up for extra games exactly. at the end of a season when they're draft eligible and games that are going to be extremely get, physical yeah. and extremely tough? They don't get any benefit out of it. Yeah, these rosters may be huge, massive, in some cases 100 kids deep. But really, there's about five, ten guys that you really come to watch, and these are the guys that are going to be playing at the next level, and they're going to be protecting themselves. So yeah, I don't. More I, football probably not the best. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, when you when the only benefit is to the school, I mean, yeah, we're just finally allowed players to use their own images to their own benefit for you know some cash consideration that well, took like long Hooters enough. Deals, and, nothing crazy. It's nothing no, outrageous. It's, no, it's just, but. Look at all the money they're yeah. going to make off of this, and yeah. how long will it be before... There's the trickle-down. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're going to make all this money off of these playoffs uh, expanding to 12. The players aren't going to see any of that. It's typical NCAA narrative to all of it. We're asking more and more out of these players and willing to give up nothing in the end. It's a, it's a pathetic pattern that they've modeled for years. Uh, they've loved banking their checks, their millions of dollars every single year on the backs of people who get absolutely nothing TV deals. out of it. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me that it'll continue, but I wonder how long until we see some player pushback on it. Uh, very well put there as well. Uh, some hockey news. Uh, this time I'm kind of excited about World Cup of Hockey getting closer to possibly coming back. The NHL and its Players Association presented the IIHF with plans to bring the tournament back. During a meeting in Paris, the plan is to organize a 17-day tournament during February of 2024 that would feature eight national teams and have games played in Europe and North America. Nothing's been finalized or agreed upon uh, regarding structure, dates, and teams, according to IIHF President Luke Tardif. World Cup of Hockey has been held three times, most recently in 2016 with eight teams, two of which were the hybrid variety of Team Europe and the ever-popular U23 Team North America. Canada beat Team Europe in the final two games to none. It's been a while since we saw best on best. The 2016 World Cup would have been the last time because NHLers, they were supposed to go to Beijing for the Winter Olympics, but of course opted against it because of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, look, a little, uh, little getting closer for the World Cup of Hockey. Best on best. It's what we want. Yeah. Can it be anything that sticks around for a long time? I have no idea. NHL is so it's so messy with how they can. I don't know why they have never been able to figure out a tournament like this. Yeah, it's frustrating. We'll see if this one can be the version that we hope it can be and that it's something that sticks around long term. I'm not entirely sold on that, but uh, I think the NHLers and... Uh, you know, deep down, they want to be at the Olympics as often as they can be to yep. represent their country. But this alternative makes way more sense for the NHL to control it and to make some money off mm-hmm. of it uh, mid-season rather than allowing their players to go to the Olympics and risk injury there. So uh, we'll see. I- I'm excited for it because you're right. We love best on best hockey. There's really nothing like it. There mm-hmm. hasn't been anything that really even compares to it. But to I think asking the Olympics or the Olympics being a, you know reasonable goal every four years in the political climate that we live in it's just not accurate i don't think that that's something you can rely on uh to some nhl news uh quite off season for the winnipeg jets outside of a couple organizational signings and re-signings and new head coach rick bonus the jets have signed their second uh nhl ufa after david riddick it's sam gagne the 33 year old had 13 goals 18 assists in 81 games last season with the detroit red wings veteran of 967 games has 505 points over that time Probably hit that 1,000-game mark around December, so that's pretty cool. Sixth overall pick all the way back in 2007. 
interesting that the Jets scooped him up after a pretty decent year with the Red Wings. All the noise, at least north of Calgary, was a reunion as a bottom six guy in Edmonton. Uh, perhaps a PTO to come back to his old stomping grounds in Edmonton and sort of finish full circle for him back with the team that drafted him. That's not going to happen, at least not this year. Uh, he'll go to the Jets after a more than surprising year with Detroit for me. I, I Not that I paid close attention to uh, the point totals that Sam Gagne was putting up with Detroit, if I'm being honest. But uh, seeing it today, it surprised me. And, uh, hey, if you're able to pick up a bottom six guy at that kind of money uh, yeah. that's productive Cheap. and you know has plenty of NHL experience, has center ice experience, uh, I think you're probably pretty happy with that if you're the Jets. And who knows who will be the bigger free agent signing impact for the Jets. Uh, back up David Riddick or bottom six Sam Gagne. The Jets yeah. haven't... Uh, haven't exactly made over their roster this year. No, more of the same in Winnipeg, and that's that's the problem around those parts. Fans aren't happy with the status quo, and this might be the prove-it year for that. Uh, one last thing on headlines here. U.S. Open, two Canadians in action on this Friday, uh, and Serena Williams as well, as she hopes to continue her magical run. We'll start with the Canadians. Bianca Andreescu and Rebecca Moreno were both playing their third-round matches today. Moreno taking on China's Zhang Shui. She fell in straight sets. Bianca will take the court tonight against 17-seed Caroline Garcia of France. Andrescu took out the 15-seed Beatriz Hadid Maya on Wednesday evening. And Serena's third-round match will be against Alia Tomjanovic of, on Arthur Ashe. Serena, minus 150 to win this match. I think I saw on Bet365, it's plus 1,800 overall to win the whole tournament. A tournament that, you know, a win tonight could open up a little bit more for her. Jabor is the highest seed remaining in her quarter at the five. This is, this is what everyone's going to be talking about. If we're still here talking about it on Tuesday, then, uh, hey, it'll be remarkably interesting. This is a huge, huge thing for, for tennis if Serena Williams can somehow find a way to push on in this tournament. Everybody seemingly wrote her off. I know Stephen A. Smith went on a, a big tangent uh, the other day. It might have even been earlier today about how frustrated he was that people were acting like that last match for her was her final one and a final goodbye. And the Tiger showed up because he thought it was her last match. I mean, look, I think it's fair to assume at this point in her career that winning a tournament is going to be extremely difficult. Um, but, I mean, people just want to be there for that last match. I'm not going to hold anybody back or, you know, criticize them for going there. They want to be there for what's the last match of a, a pretty storied career for her. So, we'll see. I, I don't... I don't know that winning the tournament is a fair expectation. That's a, that's a, a very big ask of Serena at this point in her career. Uh, I think any sort of run past the weekend, though, is going to be extremely uh, beneficial for tennis and a, a great way for her to go. I think she's already made enough noise at this tournament. Oh, for sure. I mean, I just seeing the crowds, like almost 30,000 going to be in attendance probably again tonight for uh, for Serena. So hopefully she gets to the next weekend. Hopefully. I'm, I'm hoping for it. I might throw some money on her. I know. You're excited about this. Oh, yeah. That it? That's it. Wow. Busy uh busy day. It was. Busy week. Very busy. Very busy. Yeah. Uh plans for the weekend? Uh you know what? No calves. You know, I'm just I'm just gonna take it easy, I think, this weekend. Just gonna relax? It's a very really gonna be it's hot. I don't like doing stuff when it's hot. I yeah, like what is it, 34, 35 tomorrow? Something ridiculous. Yeah, it's gonna be like the hottest September Saturday in a very long time. Uh, yeah, my phone says 34. I thought. 27 on Monday. That's perfect Labor Day perfect weather. Perfect Labor Day weather. It's going to be a good one. 
Uh, I got a tea time on Sunday. Ooh, where are you going? Sundry. Nice. Taking the drive up to Sundry. Okay. So try not to uh, get too red. Bring the sunscreen out. Wear a hat. <laughs> early, early tea or late? One forty. Right in the right in the, the right middle, in the middle of, of it. Yeah. <laughs> no running from the sun on that one. Oh my god. Yeah, it'll be worth it. Yeah, you'll be all right. Drink, drink a lot of water, eh? Uh, drink a lot of something. Drink some, yeah. It might not be water. <laughs> I'll try to mix in a water. Maybe, but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, you know. I don't know that I can guarantee that the water. Liquor, drink water. Mm-hmm. Liquor, drink water. Yeah. Uh, thanks for everything this week, man. Oh, thank you. It's been awesome being here. Yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, Jays, Pirates. What's your feel on tonight? I think Alec Manoa's will set the tone early. Get the get the Pirates get into their team. Like I, I, I'm not worried about the pitching. It's the offense that worries me right now. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Possible milestone tonight. He sits on 99 home runs. Could get to 100. Uh, be one of the quickest Jays to do get to 100 in less than 500 career games. So that's pretty awesome as well. So it's all about setting the tone, getting the bats early. I know you'll have the first at bat being the, the road team. So maybe just getting into that Pirates rotation, getting into that bullpen early. That's what you really want. I think they just need a massive day. Like I think a they big just, offensive. Yeah, they need like a, an 18 run day and then <laughs> just start. Feeling good about yourself yeah. going into the, the month of September. Get some confidence mm-hmm. back for everybody up and down the lineup, and I think you'll be you'll be good. But we'll see. Is that, you know, just picking up a win is mm-hmm. probably first and foremost on their list. So Yeah, it's all about just, just worrying about, don't worry about the teams around you. Getting that win, we'll see. You know, Manoa tonight, we'll see what happens tomorrow. I know there's a possibility of an opener on Monday. I know there's a doubleheader as well, so... Uh, a lot of questions to be hopefully answered tonight. Hopefully they don't know that you don't want that bullpen. You know, you, you six, seven innings from Manoa tonight. He went seven last last game against the Angels with no offensive help. So if the offensive help gets gets some bats going, get Manoa into the sixth, seventh inning. I think the Jays will be all right. That's where we're headed next. PNC Park uh, in Pittsburgh is where we'll take you next. Some Blue Jays pregame coming your way. They will take on the Pittsburgh Pirates for the first of three, as you meant, as you heard right there from Patrick Dumas. Alec Manoa on the mound, 435 first pitch this afternoon. Uh, thank you for listening. Enjoy the long weekend. Shout out to everybody who joined us today. Ryan O'Halloran from the uh, Denver Post. Dominic Young, Rocky Mountain Motorsports. Make sure to check that out if you're a racing fan. Yeah. And uh, Eddie Steele, former CFL, are kind enough to give us some time on this Friday ahead of a long weekend. Be safe. Enjoy yourselves. Uh, last long weekend uh, before people are back to school and work on a pretty consistent basis. So get out there, have some fun, enjoy the weather. We will be back on Tuesday. This has been Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.